It's going to go. And we're back with the second half of Which Picture Was Best? Here we will discuss the other films from 1939. And as always, our leader, Brett. Hello. Yes, we got a nice collection of other films here. I will say this isn't every movie we watched. We watched, I was to say, we watched a lot of movies for this go around. And I think each of us watched around 20 or so. So a lot of prep. Uh, we are going to start off with one that I actually don't think any of us enjoyed a whole <laughs> lot. We'll see. Babes in Arms. Zay, do you want to take it away? The intro? Yes. Well, no. I mean, I would like to take this film away somewhere. <laughs> but, um, so we have Mickey Moran played by uh, Mickey Rooney, son of two vaudeville veterans, decides to put up his own vaudeville show with his girlfriend, Patsy Barton, who was played by the iconic Judy Garland. But child actress Rosalie wants to make a comeback and replace Patsy both professionally and as Mickey's girl. Directed by the great Busby Berkeley. Uh, it's basically one of those little musicals about putting on a musical. And it has a wonderful blackface number. Mm. Suddenly blackface. I wasn't prepared because like Christian, you watched it before me and you're like, wow, there's some there's you're like, oh, wait, there's the blackface, I think is what you said. Yep. And I was expecting, like, okay, there's, like, one or two characters, and, like, the entire cast shows up in blackface. And, I'm oh, like, and when that number starts, and she's, like, talking about wanting to be, like, um, I forget how it starts, like, wants to be a minstrel player. And I'm like, Judy, what are you doing? Judy, stop. <laughs> you better stop. <laughs> oh, no. She made this after Wizard of Oz, too. So. But, like, the pairing of Mickey and Judy is iconic. They were best friends. She wanted to be romantic with him. God knows why. He saw her as his sister. Like They made, they made like... Tristan like, Hollywood, he saw that way. <laughs> honestly, though. Um, they made a couple other movies together, too. Again, I mentioned he was the number one box office star. And for some God knows what reason... Guess who got an acting nomination out of this here movie? He did. Mickey Three Foot Rooney. I watched it too. I was like, I even with my own prejudices against him, I was like, I don't see what was so special about this. He annoyed me. I was just annoyed by him after like 20, 30 minutes. And it's weird how like Judy felt more like a secondary character than anything. True. I mean, yeah. The, she was definitely like the prop woman, like just yeah. the story. Well, there's two prop women, I guess, but right. It's all about him. And then literally you're watching it. You're like, hmm, this is almost over. And then here comes the blackface. <sighs> yeah. And it's not just them. It's that entire little kid Broadway show they're putting on. It's like, hey, y'all, let's just do it this way. Cause why not? Yeah. I mean, they're all taking after their parents. They're, you know, their parents are all vaudevillian actors who are struggling on the stage because of the movies. Um, and so they're trying to both revive that and they're concerned about being taken from their parents, put in foster homes and things like that. And so you Wicked Witch of the West is also in this movie that I do. What's that? You remember so much more about this movie than I do. <laughs> I was just like I, so put off and I was like, all right, let's keep let's keep talking. That's Brett's job. He like remembers all these movies, and I'm just sitting there like I don't remember that, but okay, I'll nod my head. 
whatever you know i mean it's it's a it's got some it does have a few good songs in it True. it gives us the iconic song good morning yes amazing i never knew that i like knew it was from something i didn't know it was from this yeah and personally that's my personal favorite song from singing in the rain so it was nice to see judy garland singing it here that was kind of cool True. but you know it's always nice to hear judy garland sing and whatnot but other than that like i, I in my review on letterbox this is the first judy garland movie that was a struggle for me mm. Like, even she couldn't pull me out of this. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, there was the Mickey Rooney nom, and it also got nominated for Best Music Scoring. So, pretty big box office hit, number five that year. 9.4 million. Popular back then, not so popular to us. Anything else there? Nope. It's popular in Indianapolis because I had to turn it back to the library ASAP because three people were waiting for it. Did you oh have it? In, did you have it in a collection or by itself? It was by itself. Oh, three people yeah. really wanted to. That's shocking. Because the one at our library is like in a collection of all the movies they did together. Weird. Interesting. My library didn't have it. So, all right, our next one, um, the Cat and the Canary, featuring our host Bob Hope. I'll go ahead and um, read the plot of this one. Um, it's a mix between who done it, but also some horror and definitely some comedy mystery. When an eccentric family meets in their uncle's remote decaying mansion on the 10th anniversary of his death for the reading of his will, murder and madness follow. So basically you have these characters that come together for the reading of this will of this person died 10 years ago. And basically the setup is kind of that um, there's two envelopes. The first person read is the one who gets all the money and the mansion and whatnot. The second person that's for when that first person dies or is killed. Hmm. And so it's a quest to find who is that second person. Um, first person read is Paulette Godard's character, Joyce Norman. And so a lot of movies about protecting her, but I don't know. What, what did you all think? I really liked it because I was looking through it. I was like, okay, I'm going to find some other films to watch for this year. I want to find some genre films. And there was actually not a lot of horror movies that came out this year, but I found this one. It was like one at the top of like the most popular, never heard of it. And going into research, it was like the original play that turned into the 1927 film started the like old dark house genre mm. of like people are all in this old haunted house. Shit's going to go down. And this is a retelling of that, but with more humor because mm-hmm. I looked at the cover and it's just like straight up horror on the cover, but it's starring Bob Hope. <laughs> and so I was like, is he going to play straight in this? It doesn't make sense. And then at the beginning, it's like, it is all like told straight until he comes in. And he's just telling joke after joke as he does in any movie he's in. And at first I was turned off, but then I saw how the horror and the comedy were starting to mix really well. Mm-hmm. I even compared it to Scream because I thought it like blended the two genres and like even was using its genre 
but also like pointing out all the funny things about that genre at the same time. Oh yeah. Interesting. I watched this cause they watched it and I'm like a huge fan of Bob Hope. I guess I had seen it before and I not remember ever seeing it, but I was, it was logged on my litter box, but anyway, I watched it. I liked it too a lot. I liked the blend of comedy and horror. And then I followed up with another Bob Hope comedy horror, the ghost breakers. This is a lot more mixing the two together than that was. That was like, nah. but I liked it so much. I went and I bought it like right afterwards. So anybody want to borrow it? Yeah. And, it, yeah. It's unfortunate. There's no nominations. Cause it, I mean, Bob Hope. I like him. I would have nominated him. Bob Hope. The production design. I mean, the way they use the mansions. Yeah, true. It's a very nice mansion. Yeah. And the cinematography. I mean, anytime you can use the lights and the shadows, I mean, ain't nothing wrong with that. And one of the better performances in this is Gail Saunders guard. I agree. Yes. As like the housekeeper. And she's like, yeah, yeah. Fucking freaky and, you don't know what the hurt deal the is. Was great. I think it's like they they picked a lot of like like B actors from like like they have George Zuko who was like in a bunch of like the Mummy movies and like a bunch of like other Universal horror. Yeah, I thought I agree. It was a great cast. Um, just flat out entertaining. I mean, it's one that I could watch multiple times and enjoy it. I'm glad um, you watched it because I didn't think you were going to get to it. I watched it because the two of you watched it. So yeah. thank you, Zay, for finding that. I'm glad I could influence y'all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I literally did, very funny. I go literally ahead. did go I literally did go out and buy it. I bought like 21 of his movies in a collection. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. There's a few things I love that I absolutely found hilarious. One is um how she like holds the finger up below her nose when she's yes that was so funny it's hilarious he's like people do that when they sneeze she's like oh for me it's screaming <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny um the line i can't remember who says it first but it, it's like do dead people come back and bob hope is like you mean like the republicans yes that's the other one i wrote down <laughs> those are the two ones i wrote down that's does awesome. he say something about the democrats in this i don't recall Okay, so. well then in which case, because again, I said I watched the Ghost Breakers right after this. 1940, this is 39. He has a Democrat joke in that. Interesting. Again, Bob Hope was very political in terms of, I mean, he catered to both parties. It makes me wonder if they, like, they had a script, but they let Bob Hope just, like, ad-lib the whole time. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, yeah. I would literally be like, Bob, you can, here's the basic setup. Do your thing. He's like, all right, well, let me tell you about this. Okay, not a comedy routine. <laughs> Follow the script. Um, if there's one thing that did that I would have liked more of, I think I got the most, obviously, out of Bob Hope and Paulette Goddard, which is the way it should be, but I think some of the other characters could have been fleshed out a little more, especially leading into the big reveal um, of, like, I mean, who... it was a 72-minute movie. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is short, so there's not much time for that. But it was like the reveal came out like, oh, it's this guy. Like says okay. says the one who started it at what midnight, and then the next day said to me, "I have to finish it." And I thought to myself, "How long is that movie?" And you couldn't finish it in a sitting. It was a busy week. Busy week. I was really tired. But then why do you start it so late? <laughs> I don't know. I was 
you know, whatever. I got thirty minutes. That's spooky, but um, yeah, some of the classic tricks like the open sesame door. They don't say it obviously, but those hidden passageways and those are so cool. Yeah, they are. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Like that first scene when the bookcase opens and the guys like just taken backwards and whatever. That's like that freaked me out. Yeah. I think when you're talking about 1939, this one won't won't get mentioned, but I think it's a nice little hidden gem. Yeah, 100%. For sure. Cool. Anything else on the cat and the canary? No. Check it out. Okay, I just want to brief mention, because I think I might have been the only one who watched this. Destry Rides Again. I didn't see it. No idea. I'll just briefly say I thought it was a sequel because, like, he rides again. <laughs> it's a remake. Um, Jimmy Stewart. I just want to call it because it was, it is like the typical story of guy comes into town to clean the place up, but he is not one of those who comes in guns blazing. He is like, he doesn't even carry weapons. Um, obviously, by the end, he grabs one and he shoots somebody at the end and blah, blah, blah. But it was kind of an interesting tech way to work it. And the reason I watched this movie was because this is apparently the set on which Jimmy Stewart and Marlena Dietrich had an affair. And oh, okay. that's that movie. Then. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And apparently um, there's some rumors that Marlena Dietrich was actually pregnant um, with Jimmy Stewart and either got an abortion or lost a child. Um, but yeah. They do have an interesting chemistry here. I didn't like how things ended for her character in the movie, but she's fun as well. She's in this major like fight scene with another actress that's completely drawn out and hilarious, but it was interesting. It was entertaining. So if you're looking for a Western that might actually be enjoyable and just find out Destry Rides again, might be worth checking out. Is it a comedy or is it just like a straight up Western? It's it's a straight up western, but there are definitely comedic aspects to it. Okay. So. Okay, the next one I know we have all watched, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame. They say it "damn" in the movie, so I was just trying to like stay consistent with 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 what they said. But anyway, by saying Notre Dame, that's why it burned. Oh my god. <laughs> So that's how fast we were going to go to that. <laughs> I wondered. I wondered. All right. So I think the story is pretty timeless at this point. 15th century France. Um, you have Esmeralda who comes in with the gypsy people and um, is framed for murder that she did not commit. And basically it comes upon the Quasimodo, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, to save her. And it leads into this epic battle scene. And there's a lot of tension going on here, a lot of character arcs. Um, but what do we think of this particular adaptation? I thought well, there were no singing gargoyles. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I never cared for the Disney one. <gasps> I know. But I thought this was really good. I was, 
again, looking for genre films, and that came up. And I was like, well, I've only seen the Disney version and the 1923 version. So, and I never read the book. Have y'all read the book? Mm-mm. No. I, I know it's a lot more violent. And I think that one's like super long. Yeah. I read a synopsis of the book. <laughs> I thought the film, though, it's like really beautifully shot and it uses the exteriors so well. Mm-hmm. Like, it knows what to do with all this space. I particularly like Charles Lawton in this. Yes. It's right. weird thinking about it where I was like, when I was trying to place him in my ranks, do I want to consider him a leading actor? Because mm-hmm. obviously he's top build, or do I consider him supporting? Because it's really, uh, he's not in this as much as you would actually think about. You know? Like he barely even speaks. He has like a few lines, but they're not like, you know, rattling off no monologues or anything. It's more Esmeralda's movie. Yeah. Sort of. Even she's not like constantly in it, you know? Right. Yeah. It kind of just goes between people. uh, Another person who's in this who I feel is in this a lot. Oh my gosh. He plays the doctor in Gone with the Wind. Harry Davenport. Oh, yeah. Yes. King Louis, whatever. Because he has to make all these judgment calls or whatever. Uh, He's just in it a lot. Another person who's in it is as Clopin. It's Thomas Mitchell. Number four. (laughs) Yes, he is Clopin. So... Yeah, no, I, it's, a, it's it's a good movie. I think anybody who wants to see a good adaptation of Hunchback, I mean, for the kiddies, you got the one with the gargoyles, but for the adults, you got this one. I also think the twenty three version is good. It, it also it has an amazing set. Like, there's a big story behind the set too. Uh, like, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to think that they shot this in Hollywood, you know, Hollywood backlot, whatever. It. Yeah, like you said, so great production design. That final like battle scene, which proves to be mostly unnecessary, but it's so visually striking mm-hmm. um, and quite violent, obviously. Obviously, but um, really intense, epic scene that really stuck with me afterwards. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, really enjoyed kind of the commentary it was making, and you know through Quasimodo's character. Um, yeah, definitely, I agree. Really good adaptation. Very beautiful. I like, your, I like your little fun fact you wrote on our notes about Lawton. What did I write? You wrote, Lawton entertained crew with the Gettysburg Address when Nazis invaded Poland, rang the bells in anger when Britain declared war. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I'll f- full disclosure, I got that from Wikipedia. But, yeah, apparently, like, this is still being filmed around the time when um, World War II was starting up in Europe and kind of upsetting to a lot of the cast and crew. And so Lawton was kind of the entertainer to rouse their spirits and whatnot. Hmm. Gettysburg Address. Yeah. Number 98, Greatest Passion? This is such a weird list. Was this list created a couple years after 1939? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's so odd. But um, two noms, score and sounds, both deserving. 
Um, yeah, we come back to Charles Lawton, and I agree. I I don't know. I really struggle with whether to put him lead or supporting. But I think I got him as lead. Lead. Also, interesting fact: Lawton and O'Hara were also in the Alfred Hitchcock movie Jamaica End this year. Oh, I forgot about that one. I was going to see it, but then I didn't get to it. Interesting. Um, I was kind of interested in who was considered for the role of Quasimodo. I mean, when this was originally planned, they it was um, in Universal's hands, and they were going to make it part of their you know big monster movie push in the early 30s with Boris Karloff. Later on, Lon Chaney Jr. and Orson Welles were both considered for the role. So I'm trying to imagine Orson Re- Orson Welles playing Quasimodo. But... He would have he would have took over the entire movie, like... <laughs> yeah. which is interesting because the 23 version was one of Universal's first monster pictures that they consider in their canon. Is Lon Chaney? Yeah, Lon Chaney. Okay, the good one. Isn't that where he has like a lot of like sh- it's shaggy hair looking? Yeah, Quasimodo. Okay, because I've seen images then. Nice. Anything else on the Hunchback of Notre Dame? That's a good one. Cool. So the next one, I know, Christian, you just recently watched. Yes. Um, Yeah, I've seen it mostly referred to by its French title. Um, I've never spoken French. Le jour se leve, I think. Um, I don't think that's right, but... Probably not right. But (laughs) Daybreak is the English title. um, Directed by Michel Carn. Um, also probably pronounced wrong, but yeah, Christian, since you watched this most recently, what's going on in this one? Well, it opens up with Francois who kills a man, Valentine, and nobody really knows why he did it. He's a normal guy. He's never caused any trouble. He lives at the top of his apartment building. Doesn't, you know, he'll talk to you, but he's not a bad guy. The film doesn't really focus on why he wanted to kill this man right away. Instead, it goes through flashbacks on what drove him to shoot him. And I read when watching this, the flashbacks in films was like a new thing at the time. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't really done. And this did it really well because he meets Francois E. He's Francois. The woman is Francois E. They mentioned like, we got the same names. <laughs> Uh, but they fall in love and then she falls in love with this uh, magician dog trainer and he gets jealous of course because why not he falls for this other woman but in reality he still loves Francois and it just goes from there because jealousy ensues with between him and the dog trainer and who gets Francois yeah Francois Francois does not sound right I'm you know, I'm on level one of Duolingo French, okay? <laughs> it's been two years since I've seen this, so I'm not as refreshed. I wanted to watch it today, but I took too long to try to find it, and it's not very readily available online. Um, the one version I did find was, like, English dubbed, and I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. And so, but I do, I know I loved it when I first watched it. Um, really? Oh, good. It's so good. It really brings in that French poetic realism. Um, it's sad. It's so sad too, because you're learning like, yes, he is. Uh, Francois is such a normal guy. He doesn't cause any issue. And then he kills this man. 
and I was saying to myself, the man kind of deserved it. Like you feel for him because it goes through the whole emotions of like, okay, he shot the gun. He shot the guy. He doesn't want to leave his apartment. Everybody down below is rooting for him not to do anything crazy, like kill himself. They're going to find any way to get him out of that apartment. And you're just like rooting for him the entire time. So. Yeah, he's easy to empathize with. And the ending is, let's just say it's, it's not happy. It's not a happy one, which I don't know. The type of ending like this, I don't know if we would have seen in um, U.S. cinema at this time. Yeah. It's pretty bold. Yeah, because Hollywood doesn't like during this time, you know, mm-hmm. they don't want you to cry because somebody's murdered or whatever. Yeah. Unless they're the bad guy. True. There you go. Um, some interesting history there, there. It was banned by the Vichy government in 1940. Um, they thought they destroyed every copy of it, but it was found later. And Sight and Sounds does their list every so often. It's through the BFI. They originally had it on their top 10 greatest films list. They now have like a top 50, and I don't think it's on there at all. But originally, it was right there. Really good. If you can find it, check it out. Pretty awesome. Okay. I think we all saw the next one, the Howard Hawks movie, Only Angels Have Wings. And only one of us really loved it. I saw it two years ago. I don't remember much about it. It didn't connect with me. I thought it was fine. I I, I got the Criterion version from the library, and I literally thought it was going to be a detective movie (laughs) because Cary Grant is wearing like a suit and tie. And I didn't notice the plane on top. And lo and behold, it is not that at all. No. So but Brett, who loved it the most, will talk about it. <laughs> I mean, it is a story of um, mail carriers, pilots um, in South America, and basically their lives as they go on these dangerous missions to deliver the mail um, here, here and back. And it's kind of um, built around the introduction of Jean Arthur's character um, who plays Bonnie Lee, who she kind of enters in and becomes a romantic interest of Cary Grant. And there's this back and forth of whether he, you know, keeps on doing this or he, you know, kind of goes on to be with her. Um, at the same time, they bring on this new pilot who nobody likes because he actually was partially responsible for the death of one of the pilot's brother. That pilot is played by, um, the guy whose brother died is played by Thomas Mitchell, number five, I think her last one. And Rita Hayworth also appears as Cary Grant's ex-lover. I mean, I, I I don't know if I loved it per se. I really appreciated a lot of it and the craft in it. I wish Cary Grant was just more likable in it because he's not very likable at all. Mm-hmm. And, or at least his character. Which is very different for him. Because usually, you want to hear this hot take that I promised Christian? Oh, yes, go. Cary Grant relies on his charisma in almost all of his roles in any movie he's ever in. I don't think he's necessarily a good actor. But his charisma makes us believe he is. And you know what? I think Cary Grant was the rock. Dwayne Johnson of old Hollywood. Ooh, interesting. Christian thoughts? 
<laughs> I'm like thinking about it now. <laughs> You're kind of right. I can't like think of a single Cary Grant performance other than like bringing up baby, but even then Catherine Hepburn is like up here and he's like over to the side. That's like, he should have gotten any sort of awards recognition or anything. And now that you also say it and I think about it, it's like, that's so fucking true. Mm. He's this charismatic guy. He's charmed all the audiences into believing like he's some sort of like macho stud who can get the girl in the end. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, but you have to admit this. He's better than The Rock. I mean, yeah. I, and anything, I, a rock is better than The Rock. I mean, I believe that Cary Grant got better pictures than The Rock ever did. I, yeah. If The Rock was started to get like better directors, better films, who knows? True. True. That was a hot take, though, guys. <laughs> Everybody out there listening, wow. did you hear this hot take? <laughs> Cary Grant's not a good actor. <laughs> and I mean here I think I some people might see him as you know once again charismatic here in some ways but he's just such a jerk and I, I'm not totally I, I don't I'm okay with main characters being jerks at times but it's like the film wants us to like be on his side I think throughout the whole thing and so I had trouble doing that but like I said, the crafts, the the airplane scenes are just magnificent. Um, I think Howard Hawks directed the hell out of this movie and did a really good job. And I think, honestly, this was Thomas Mitchell's best performance of the year. That's saying something. I thought so. I don't know. He's really, really good in Stagecoach. But I just, he had a lot of emotion coming out of this. And I really liked him here. I say he had a lot of emotion, a lot of money coming out of his pockets. <laughs> this is true. Gene Arthur as well. Great as always. Um, yeah. Interesting film. You know who Gene Arthur reminds me of because we're on this like roll with her this year. She reminds me of modern day actress, Leslie Mann. Hmm. Like if they were to make a biopic, I want Leslie Mann to play her. <gasps> You made me just remember, okay, this has nothing to do with either films, but watching Ninochka, I was thinking, you know who could play Greta Garbo? Isabella Bear. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, most likely. Shit. She could do it, too. Yeah. I mean, Isabella Bear could play The Rock, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, two nominations best cinematography black and white and for visual effects yeah that's only angels have wings unless Christian do you have anything else to add no <laughs> I also do not cool um, this next one is really hard for me to talk about I might tap out of this discussion <laughs> it's an interesting movie to watch it is the movie is The Rules of the Game. Um, it's also a French film uh, directed by Jean Renoir, the famous French director. Bonjour. And this one, not it was very much hated by the public and the critics when it first came out, but over time it's gained some recognition. It is now number four 
on Sight and Sound's most recent list of the 50 greatest films ever. I wouldn't agree with that. I'm guessing neither of you would as well. It's not... It's an interesting movie. And I had no idea going... I, I have a bad habit of not reading about films before I start watching them. Mm-hmm. And this film will definitely... Because I have this like film analysis book I had from my one film class I took in college. And they had, I read about it. I read the article after watching the movie. And when I read it, I was like, all right, so this is why it all makes sense now because I didn't contextualize it. But so now I just don't have feelings about it and I just need to rewatch it, but I didn't have time to rewatch it. Because I only had like two weeks to watch these 20 films. Yeah. And for me, I even told Brett this when I was watching this, I was comparing it to another movie with a similar plot in terms of like the rich bourgeoisie going to a country estate that did it for me better just because it wasn't making me think I foreign films are fine by all means to me. It's just that the ones that make me think and with current issues, cause this is like the working class versus the high class, whatever. I can't do it. It's hard to focus, but then I watch daybreak and I'm like, this is beautiful. Yeah, I definitely really liked Rules of the Game, but I was the opposite of use I read before I watched it, so I think that helps because I did have that context, and I, I think that just improves upon the viewer experience and just really the examination of this group of people, both the bourgeoisie and and their servants as well that play a role in this film. And to me, it just kind of goes, it's part of this whole, like, who's in love with who, if anybody's in love with anybody and who's sleeping with who, blah, blah, blah. But there's like another layer to it and like observing the absurdity of some of these characters and the hunting scene. Yeah, I was about to bring that up. Yeah. What, what were your thoughts on that before I, well, I was just, it doesn't feel like the rest of the movie, but it makes the most damning like critique of the bourgeoisie. Of just like, I don't know, you're going to get my attention if I start seeing dead animals on the screen. <laughs> and there are like, a lot of them. I know. And uh, it was. Why is it, it's always rabbits in these movies. You ever notice that? Because rabbits are innocent. They don't need to be killed. Why are we killing rabbits? It took me the second viewing of us to realize that in the one scene, you hear rabbits screaming because they're getting killed. Mm. But. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I was your guys a discussion. I was just struck by the scene, and because it's just set up for those listening, it's like the whole group goes on this big hunt, and they're going out and hunting these rabbits, and it's just a huge montage of them shooting these rabbits. And what really struck me is that like they're it's not that they're they're obviously not doing it for food. I mean, they might be eating them later, but not because they need it. They're I don't even think they're they're doing it for sport. They're doing it because they can do it. And they I don't know. It it's they can they have the power to just decimate like that. Um and do that and not give a care about the guns that are being fired elsewhere around the world because John Renoir, when he made this, was like, World War II is happening. He predicted that and when he made this film. So just their ignorance to that and this being their focus and all the melodrama that follows. It's just super interesting. Like you said, Christian, it's a thinker. Made mm-hmm. me think a lot. 
I definitely think it's something I need to revisit in order to come concrete my feelings. Yeah, same. Yeah. Anything else on the rules of the game? It's French. Bonjour. Mm. Bonjour. Le chat est un orange. That is the Duolingo speaking. <laughs> Jeez. Cool. I'm pretty excited about the next one. I'm very surprised that you ended up really liking this. Really? Yeah. Great. Like you were ended up being obsessed with it. It is The Women. The name of the film. Directed by our friend George Cukor. Um, who did, I think, have sole credit for this one. The way I understand it, it was like, I could be wrong in this, but I think this is what I've heard or read, that once they decided that it was going to be Victor Fleming that directed um, like Gone with the Wind or Wizard Oz, one of the two, this was what they gave George Cukor uh, was this film. Not a bad pick, though. Not at all. Anybody else want to provide the summary? Oh, I will. Cool. So um, before I do that, I want to get their names right. So it's obviously Norma Shear is the lead in this. And she plays Mary Haynes, uh, married to this nice, attractive guy, as they describe it. There's no men in this movie at all. It is all women, from the main characters to the babies to the animals. Anyway, so her friend, Sylvia Fowler, Rosalind Russell, who's so great in this, overhears that uh, Mr. Haynes is having an affair with this Crystal Allen woman works at the uh, perfume counter and she is the lovely Joan Crawford. Hey, Toby, that one's for him because he loves Joan Crawford. And so it's pretty much just these women hanging out and talking about the men in their lives, particularly Mr. Haynes and the affair that he's having with Crystal Allen. Who is this Crystal Allen? And then what does Mary do? Does she divorce him? Does she stay with him? And eventually she does decide to leave him. She goes to what TCM always describes on their info to this when I record it every time, a dude ranch. I mean, I can't, ironic enough because of women, dude ranch, uh, where she just, you know, chills and takes time to spend with herself. Marjorie Maine is in this. If anybody knows who that is, love her. But there's like a shit ton of actresses in this. So, go. <laughs> They're all great, and there's really great Technicolor sequence in this. Yes, it's in black and white, but there's a Technicolor sequence in the middle of the movie. Yeah, and it's that beautiful. Kind of, I haven't seen this film in like four years. I wanted to revisit it, but again, I haven't. I didn't find the time. But I did rewatch the Technicolor fashion show, which great. It's visually stunning. This like it's great. So I've seen this movie about three times. So I want to hear from the newbie. I just... Who was shook. <laughs> the, the ensemble is just so fun to watch. The way they interact with each other, their chemistry. It is like... Like this would probably be my pick for ensemble of the year. Just because they're all so great. They all bring something to it. And they're so funny. I'm trying to think. I tried finding it just in these last few minutes. Um the last line that Joan Crawford gives in the film where she basically calls them bitches in a roundabout way and then walks out. She says, quote, and by the way, there's a name for you ladies, but it isn't used in high society. 
outside of a kennel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so th- things like that were just so funny. And Norma Shearer is so likable in the lead role. I mean, she so is. easy to root for. Um, just fun to watch. And like you said, Rosalind Russell, fantastic, hilarious. She's in like a fight in this with another woman at the ranch. And it's so funny to watch. Um, There's like a lot of stuff happening in this, but it's all balanced really well between them all. Definitely. They all have their own issues. And I must say, even though critics like trash on it, the remake with Meg Ryan and Annette Bening, I like it a lot. Isn't Fergie in that? I think she is. Interesting. Like I shouldn't like it. Nobody should like it. But it's actually enjoyable. Interesting. I just found this out, but um, apparently F. Scott Fitzgerald was like worked on the early script. Oh, interesting. Of the women. Of the women. Oh, yeah, yeah. Listed here as uncredited. Yeah. Hmm. That's really interesting. It's that. It's the Technicolor sequence, though, with the outfits. That's like amazing. True. And I read, I tried, I tried to find something about it in terms of why it's there. And really all I found was, well, it was the depression. And if you're talking like depression era movies, you just want like, how we've been talking about the colors of gone with the wind or the wizard of Oz. It's just a burst of color in that even for a second, or it's like six minutes long, I think, but you know, it's great. And that's why I say like a lot of these movies, they're trying to get as much out of the new color technology as they can, even if it's just a brief segment. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I will say it's funny because like it's revolutionary since like it's this film that's features all women speaking and appearance wise are all we see. But it's funny because like the I think the only thing they talk about in the entire movie other than the other women are men. And like you see it in the tagline for the film. Like I'm looking at the poster, it says the women in big letters. And then underneath that, it says it's all about men exclamation point, which I hear is like one of the biggest criticisms that like I've heard from like other crit- like reviews. It's like yeah. you I have mean, all could. these women. Can't they do something without the men? Yeah. Like yep. even when she goes to the dude ranch, that's all it is on her journey there. Cause she talks to the dame and it's just about her divorce and stuff. And then Rosalind Russell follows her there and it's still about her damn divorce. Yeah. I think her husband is probably forgiven a little too easily in this film uh, for what he does. But yeah, I mean, that would be my biggest criticism, but otherwise, I mean, the performances are just stellar. It's funny. And it's just, it's just fun to watch. Mm -hmm. It's weird that this is like, would could still be considered a gimmick just having an all female cast while there's yeah. like so many w- movies that are just just men and that's not really addressed as a gimmick or something like that i think in the remake of this there is one man and it's like at the end of the movie the newborn baby is the only boy <laughs> that's cute. interesting it's like surprise <laughs> wow Anything else on the women? Joan Crawford's great in it too, in the bathtub mm-hmm. scene particularly. Yes, I agree. 
Also, Butterfly McQueen also appears in this movie. She does, yes. There's a lot of people appearing in multiple movies. Ah, oh, the yeah. good old days. Um, Paulette Godard in this as well. Who's also in The Cat and the Canary. So, um, I see one more film listed here. We might have some others that pop in, but another John Ford film from 1939, Young Mr. Lincoln, which is really not historically accurate at all. In the slightest bit. So basically, this is the story. I shouldn't say the story. This is a story um, with Abraham Lincoln as its central character, the young lawyer in Illinois, basically how he goes on to defend these two brothers in a trial who are um, charged with murder. We're not really sure. We think only one brother did it, but they, neither one of them is taken to blame. Spoiler alert, come to find out, neither one of them did it. Obviously, that's how it goes. Um, but Henry Fonda in leading role was not nominated for this, perhaps a little bit surprisingly. So what do we think of Young Mr. Lincoln? Because I think we all watched it. I think Henry Fonda makes the movie. True, I agree. Yeah. This movie's kind of wild. That they made up this whole mythos for Abraham Lincoln. And almost none of it's true. Like, there was a trial, mm-hmm. but it was like nothing like this happened. And it's like, okay, the opening scene is, well, not opening scene, but like the very beginning where his first love dies and he puts a stick on her grave. And it's like, now if it goes this way, I'm going to go. But if it goes this way, I'm going to stay. And I'm like, if you've ever hold, held a stick in the ground, you decide which way it goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they, they introduce this lady just to kill her, just to make his journey go on. I'm like, oh my lord. Yeah, I'm a little confused about that at first. I actually like kind of read up like, okay, so this is okay, I see. <laughs> and also, Mary Todd Lincoln in this film, like, she... She's, she's just a weird character in this movie. She's like kind of there. And it's like she's like playing the two lawyers to decide who she'll be with, it seems like. And I don't know. It's so weird that you could have any real subject that's historically accurate of Lincoln because he's, how do I want to put this? Fucking Lincoln. <laughs> and yet they make up like this random story that's, you know, not all the way true. Because in the end, where he's talking to Douglas and Douglas is like, I commend you for what you just did. I'm like, well, hell, I want to see a Lincoln Douglas debate movie now. Yeah. You know, because that's one of the most famous debates ever. It's interesting. I feel like someone wrote this script and you know how sometimes I'll have like horror movie scripts and they're like, what if we just put Pinhead in this? Let's make it a Hellraiser (laughs) sequel. I feel like they did that with this and they're like, listen, what if that young man that young man was Abraham Lincoln. We're going to put in the Cloverfields universe now. <laughs> and if it wasn't Abraham Lincoln, it probably wouldn't be as well remembered today. I mean, it was directed by John weird. Ford still, but I would have liked the movie a lot more if it wasn't Abraham Lincoln, I think. Mm. Cause it bothered me. Yeah, I don't know. It's, 
essentially discussion like how we shift history and just use historical actors in that way. And there seems to be like just an obsession with Lincoln this year. There's a line in the Wizard of Oz about um, Lincoln. Um, and Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I don't think we brought this up, but like he goes up and sees the Lincoln Memorial. That's like this really iconic scene. And so Lincoln just keeps popping up and here he's got um, his own fake gone movie. With the wind. Yeah. Gone with the wind. Obviously. Yeah, for sure. Lincoln starts the war. <laughs> and so there seemed to be an obsession, but again, Henry Fonda plays him so well. So True. I will say watching this movie made me enjoy a joke in the movie edge of 17 a lot more. When Woody Harrelson is the history teacher and he brings in a TV and just shows them young Mr. Lincoln. And I'm just thinking like, how many people have done this? You know, they have. Oh yeah. 100%. I was really surprised by the courtroom scene by how humorous it was. Yeah. That was interesting. Interesting choice. What is the guy's name? Jack Sass. He like, he goes, I will say I did laugh. I thought, thought it's quite funny, but he's like going about this guy's name. And um, he says something like, yeah, I'll just call you jackass or something like that. Mm. And the the jury just, all men, of course, they just light up. They think it's hilarious. The judge is trying to get order. And then like two minutes later, the judge is like, jackass, I just got it. And he starts laughing. <laughs> and it's actually pretty funny. Yeah, but it's just a weird choice. That that the whole courtroom thinks he's Bob Hope. Like <laughs> every joke he tells lands hard. <laughs> no, yeah, they light it up. You mentioned the writer, and the writer of this is Lamar Trotty, and actually, he has a thing for presidents, I guess, because he won an Oscar for writing a movie about Woodrow Wilson. So I have never seen it. I don't know if it's historically accurate. But <laughs> you can only hope. <laughs> I don't know. I will say I really enjoyed it. Um, despite some of the issues I had with it. I, I just enjoyed watching it. Um, but I do think if anything, Henry Fonda probably should have been that in that best actor lineup that year. I agree. To come back to so. Final question for a young Mr. Lincoln. Which is more historically accurate, this or Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? Oh. <laughs> Bringing back that gem of 2014. Obviously. 14, 12, probably older. I think it was 2012. Well, I saw that in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> that one's a wild ride for sure. What about Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis? Oh, that one. Well, that oh. one's such a, you know, an indie gem, you know, didn't get very far. <laughs> or as my aunt says, Christian, I started that movie and I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird, though, like the persona of Lincoln through different actors. Like Henry Fonda is literally playing Henry Fonda as Lincoln. And you have Daniel Day-Lewis when we get to 2012 someday doing his own thing. And he's like, hey, I'm... Lincoln, how you doing? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Doing his research. Yeah. I want a gay Lincoln. I want a gay Lincoln movie. Oh, Mary Todd. <laughs> Not, yes, Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane plays. In the movie. 
<laughs> oh my god. I wish he had a Twitter. I'd be tweeting him that right now. <laughs> Nathan, we got a story for you. <laughs> Springtime for Lincoln. <laughs> Interesting. So that's our last film that we had listed to talk about, but we watched a lot more. Um, I could go through quickly, and if either of you want to give some thoughts, feel free. Um, Intermezzo, Intermezzo. That was an inch, that was like one of the first movies I saw for this because it was on YouTube. It's like an hour long. Um, it was Ingrid Bergman's first U.S. film, mm. which is why I wanted to watch it. Uh, she's pretty much wasted because it's a movie about the man. I don't remember who the actor was. And I just wanted to bring it up so I could tell everyone to watch Honeysuckle Rose, which is the movie with Willie Nelson that was remade from this. Interesting. Which is a much better movie. Even though it didn't get much reaction, but I think it's a good movie. Nice. Um, next one, I think both of you watched Gulliver's Travels. I didn't get to that one. You didn't miss anything. Honestly. <laughs> it was a movie that um, Fle uh, Fleischman? Fleischman, that? yeah. Yeah. He saw how well Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs did, and he was like, I can make my movie. Um, he's famous for him and his studio are famous for doing Betty Boop, Superman, the Popeye cartoons. Oh, okay. Yeah. And after he was that, he was like, I can do that. And then he does this weird thing where half the cartoon characters are like really cartoony and then Gulliver is like realistic and like the prince and the princess are realistic and I'm like Gulliver is so scary in this movie <laughs> when he looks and interesting. It's, the movie's bad it's just, <laughs> it's just 70 minutes of a cartoon like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is an actual movie Gulliver's Travels is just bits after bits after bits. Like, and the other thing that I found wrong with it, if he really wanted to capitalize and recreate what Disney had did, add a song that I don't know, maybe people could sing along to when it's all over. Because this was this nominated for song, or am I just thinking of something else? Yeah, best original song. Yeah. yeah, and it's like none of these songs are really good, and they even wanted to have Popeye in this as Gulliver, and I told this to Zay yesterday. It, it, that would have been better. And then you said that it wouldn't really have helped at all, but I don't think so. Just to have Popeye being in this would have done something for me. I mean, it would have been more entertaining to have something. Old. I guess I kind of held on because I used to watch all these old cartoons and I was like, oh, that's Gabby. I didn't like any of his cartoons, but I recognized him because after this movie came out, they tried to capitalize on him and no one liked him. Yeah, but Gulliver, I mean, just the animation of Gulliver scares the shit out of me. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> I didn't even know this was animated, not gonna lie. Yeah. Well, neither did I until I looked it up and I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the Rains Came, which won oh, best special effects over The Wizard of Oz. For its titular rain and earthquake sequence, which I was like not impressed with. Well, like buildings like crumbled and shit. I don't. Cool. Those are miniatures. <laughs> yeah. Big it's, whoop. It's, it's nothing special. It's racist. It's. Oh my gosh. We've been talking about blackface. Well, <laughs> here's some brown face. True. This is just the year of like slapping in the face with some. Um, 
brown face, black face. I didn't mention it in the list, but um, even the Jimmy Stewart movie, It's a Wonderful World, blackface. Out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> uh, this was. I will oh. say in The Rains Came, the most, like, the part that captured me the most was when she gets sick because she drank out of the cup of water and it's the most dramatic after effects ever. She's just like looking at the cup of water and she's like, oh fuck. I'm gonna die. Wow. Speaking of brown face, Christian, and I don't say you might have seen this too, but Gunga Din? Oh my god. Nope. Look, okay, Gunga Din is... The, I didn't know what the fuck Gunga Din meant. I thought it was a location. It was a character. And there's a white guy playing an Indian man. When there was an actor called Sabu, who they were like, we should get him because he's Indian. But then Sabu was like, well, you know, I'm busy doing another thing. Well, we could have waited for him. But no, we got to brown face this up. <laughs> it's literally these like guys going to the literally the Temple of Doom. Guess who's in it? The charming Cary Grant. <laughs> and he, he charms the local Indian people into convincing them that, like he wants to take their gold and stuff. And instead they like tie him the fuck up and Kali Ma him. They don't Kali Ma him. That's literally the plot. And then everybody else has to go save his ass. Interesting. It's all about colonization of India. I, I that could not be as boring as it sounds, but it's <laughs> Uh, we had the Roaring Twenties, which was one of the gangster films that came out this year. I put it because I saw it two years ago. I saw it, it like three years ago. It, it's good. I liked it. Um, it's got Humphrey Bogart as the villain, which is kind yeah, of interesting. That's what I remember. But it's like very remember. much like it's like kind of meta. Like it goes through like the different years of the Roaring Twenties, and um, like has all these news flashes and whatnot. But James Cagney. Pretty good. Um, Dodge City, which I grew up two hours from Dodge City, um, and I, my family lived like forty-five minutes from Dodge City, so we're both familiar with Dodge City. No, I wouldn't say it's what pe most people would expect. I think you the most like interesting aspect of this movie was like the story about the premiere and how Hollywood came to Dodge city. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a, um, Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland pairing. They had just done, um, adventures of Robin hood. I, I really liked the color in this. Um, but plot wise, I mean, it was a pretty straightforward, typical Western, not much to add. Um, drums along the Mohawk. Oh God. <laughs> okay. Before you say anything, there were so many movies that I looked up for 1939 where I was just like, okay, I, I only have so much time. I got to curate what I'm going to watch. You know, they made it so easy because there's so many, I was like, this is too racist. I know it's going to be racist. I'm going to skip it. This was along that, along with the Gunja, Gunja Dinge or whatever. <laughs> This movie is like the first 30 minutes is literally Claudette Colbert just screaming because a Native American is in her house. Like, girl, you don't own this land. Yeah. Yeah, the representation here is really bad. Like, among the worst I've seen, I think. Maybe and not Henry the worst, Fonda. but up there. Henry Fonda's in it. 
And that's why I watched it. Like Henry Fonda, Claudette Colbert. I mean, John Ford directed it. So I wanted to see his third film. They direct 1939. It was his first color feature. Again, the color looks good, but it's, 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 it's a struggle to sit through. It's set during the revolutionary war. So I mean, it's not like a typical Western, but some of the same tropes. Um, I put Confessions of a Nazi Spy. I think somebody put, did anybody see this? I actually saw it <laughs> a solid five years ago. I just want to bring it up because it was one of those first movies that like really addressed the Nazis, uh, at least U.S. movie that really addressed that issue. At, um, I think Edward G. Robinson maybe plays lead role. Um, that's why I brought up that one. Okay, because I put that. Did anybody see this? I was like, why is this here? <laughs> I saw it in class, but and the last one we have listed is the private life of Elizabeth and Essex, which was one of the last things I saw about um, Queen Elizabeth, whichever one that was. First, the first, uh, only played, two, whatever, played by <sighs> Betty Davis and Essex, played by Errol Flynn. Um, I thought it was such an interesting movie. Um, Betty Davis plays twice her age <laughs> and she just looks I don't she, her makeup is great in the way that I'm just like this doesn't look like a human anymore but Errol Flynn <laughs> character is just in love with her and it's just sweet sweet melodrama and they're so and toward the end it gets so petty and it's such a delicious pettiness that I, when I was watching it, I was like, I want to watch it for the podcast, but it, I feel like it's just going to be one of those period dramas. No, it was so, it was pretty good and it surprised me. Um, a good cast, Vincent Price is in it. Uh, Olivia's in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Olivia to have. Yeah, she's in it too. Wow. She had Betty, literally, Betty literally shaved some of her hairline too yeah, to get the did. Elizabeth. Back. And then she, she shaved her eyebrows and she's like, they never grew back right. Have you seen the sequel? I wrote that on your comments on the letterbox. Oh no, I didn't know there was a sequel. Yeah, um, the uh, what is this? The Private Life of Elizabeth Essex. It's the Virgin Queen. Oh no! When she gave Marlon Brando the Oscar for On the Waterfront, and she's wearing that weird hat. Yeah, I saw the hat thing. I didn't know that was the. That's why she shaved that to do the sequel. Oh. Yeah, and she wears that in the movie. That's her bed cap. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's weird to think that like a movie from the 30s is going to get a sequel later on in the 50s. That is weird. You know, but yeah. And she's not even top billed in that. Interesting. Any other movies that we missed here? Does that oh. cover them all? Um, I I'm looking through my list. I saw a lot of short films. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and expound those a little bit? Okay. Um, I saw The Ugly Duckling, which was from Disney, and it won for Best Animated Short Film. Really good, really cute. I saw Thugs with Dirty Mugs from Warner Brothers, which was a take on literally all their gangster movies. And so it was just like joke after joke after joke, and it was so hilarious. Um, society Dog Show, Mickey and Pluto from Disney. Really dramatic. Um, a Day at the Zoo from Warner Brothers. Again, they like doing parodies of themselves because it's joke after joke after joke. Um, and then Peace on Earth, which I made you watch, Brett. And it's about a squirrel telling his grandchildren 
about men like humans and because they went to war they killed each other and all the animals took over (laughs) (laughs) and that's life now they like follow the ten commandments thou shall not kill oh no i have to find this it's yes it's very easy to find mgm it's a heavy it's very heavy it's kind of like yeah it's very dark and like the image of the of the soldier is actually pretty frightening uh it's interesting it's really interesting i watched one more too because i watched all the uh animated nominees the pointer another disney movie with pluto and detouring america which shows little bits of americana at the 30s and it is uh very uh racist (laughs) there is a scene where a black man is getting picked up by an to use the words of the day, an Eskimo. And the Eskimo, for some reason, takes him over the Virginia County line. Oh, you show me the Snapchat. Yeah, yeah. That was... Yeah, I sent snaps to people. Ooh. I was like, hmm. That was a trend. I watched one short film, actually. It came with the Babes in Arms DVD, and I was like, I might as well just go ahead and see this. And it was Dual Personalities. It was an Argane short, where Alfalfa thinks he's one of three musketeers after he gets hypnotized. It was cute. <laughs> Oh, our gang. Oh, Little Rascals. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's great. Well, we all made our personal picks for nominations and winners for that year for the the screenplays, the acting awards, director, and picture. So, works for you all. We can just start with the best original screenplay, say what we had nominated and what our winner would be. Oh, I fucked up. I don't know I put them in one category. Why did I do that? I just have screenplay. Let's hear what your screenplay nominees are. Okay. I have them for Ninochka, The Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith, Stagecoach. And I would give the win to Ninochka. I don't know why I put them in one category. So theoretically, Ninochka wins because it's original, but adapted out of the other four. What would win? Uh, are all four adapted? Yeah. Oh, Mr. Smith. Then. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, no, Mr. Smith's original, isn't it? A, don't confuse me like this. Mr. Smith was... It's based on an unpublished thing or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I think they ran it as original. It's really hard to tell in the 30s. And so... If not, then I, I'll say Wizard of Oz. Nice. I did for original... This is going from five to one uh, love affair because I there was nothing else I could do. Young Mr. Lincoln, Le Jour Se Leve, Mr. Smith and the winner Nanuchka. And then adapted screenplay from five up. Cat and the Canary, Wuthering Heights of Mice and Men, Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind. Okay. Uh, my original going up, I had Young Mr. Lincoln, Daybreak, um, The Rules of the Game, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and Nanachka as my winner. And then adapted, I had Dark Victory, The Wizards of Oz, Stagecoach, Gone with the Wind, and my winner was The Women. Hmm. Okay. um, Let's move on to Best Supporting Actor. Actor. Just to say, I don't have anything of mine ranked except for picture. No worries. That's a okay. 
I don't know. The performances are harder for me to rank or whatever. But um, so for best supporting actor, we have Burt Lahr for The Wizard of Oz, Humphrey Bogart for Dark Victory, Thomas Mitchell for Stagecoach, Vincent Price for The Private Life of Elizabeth in Essex, and Claude Rains for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And my award goes to Thomas Mitchell for Stagecoach. Very nice. I had number five, Claude Rains for Mr. Smith. Then Frank Morgan for The Wizard of Oz, who plays The Wizard of Oz and various other characters. Um, Thomas Mitchell for Stagecoach, Ray Bolger, who's the scarecrow for Wizard of Oz. And my winner is Burt Lahr as the Cowardly Lion in The Wizard of Oz. Nice pick. Uh, we all differed here. I had, so I had nominated Thomas Mitchell, but I nominated him for Only Angels Have Wings. So because of that, I included Donald Meek from Stagecoach, who plays um, Peacock. And I also had Ray Bolger from The Wizard of Oz, Burt Lahr from The Wizard of Oz, but my winner was Claude Rains from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I was so expecting you not to put Burt Lahr and just see how Christian react. <laughs> I, I considered it. I considered I'm gl- it. I'm glad that we all three had Burt Lahr in there, okay? Honestly, such a great performance. I thought I was going to get uh, chewed out enough for not having Bert Lahr win, if I'm honest. So, I mean, he was second in my heart. So, yeah. Okay. Um, best supporting actor. Or, or, sorry, actress. We just did actor. Okay. We have Maria Ospenyaka for Love Affair, Margaret Hamilton for The Wizard of Oz, Hattie McDaniel for Gone with the Wind. I actually broke the rules and gave Geraldine Fitzgerald. A double nomination for Dark Victory and Wuthering Heights. And then Olivia de Havilland for Gone with the Wind. And I had to go with Hattie McDaniel. Oh. But Margaret Hamilton was a close second. I'm shook. Interesting. All right. I went with Gene Arthur for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And Hattie McDaniel for Gone with the Wind. Rosalind Russell for The Women. Olivia for Gone with the Wind, and my winner is the Wicked Witch herself, Margaret Hamilton for The Wizard of Oz. Makes sense. Um, I had Rosalind Russell as well for The Women. I had Margaret Hamilton for The Wizard of Oz, Hattie McDaniel for Gone with the Wind, and Olivia de Havilland for Gone with the Wind. And my winner, my winner was Gene Arthur, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Y'all are going to be mad at me soon. Oh, oh God! <laughs> you break is oh boy! Oh God! <laughs> okay, best leading actor. Did you say best leading actor? <laughs> I said what? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we have Jimmy Stewart for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Bob Hope for The Cat in the Canary, Henry Fonda for Young Mr. Lincoln. Charles Lawton for Hunchback in Notre Dame, and Clark Gable for Gone with the Wind. And it goes to Jimmy Stewart. Nice. I had uh, Bob Hope for Cat in the Canary, Henry Fonda for Lincoln, Jean Gabin for Le Jour C'est Levé, Daybreak. Nice. Uh, then Mr. Gable for Gone with the Wind, and my winner is Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart for Mr. Smith. Okay, I had Melvin Douglas for Ninochka. 
Um, I did throw in Robert Donat for Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Henry Fonda for Young Mr. Lincoln. Clark Gable for Gone with the Wind. And my winner, once again, Jimmy Stewart. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. He was robbed. Well, gee, thanks, y'all. I mean, that's probably why he got the Oscar for Philadelphia Story the next year. Probably so. I mean, As it was, should have been, I mean, Clark Gable know. wins for It Happened One Night, Jimmy wins for Mr. Smith, and then Henry Fonda wins for Grapes of Wrath. That's how it should have went in life. That, yeah. that makes sense to me. Okay, Best Leading Actress. See, this is where y'all going to be mad because I put Gene Arthur as Best Actress. See, I thought about it. I didn't know what to do there. So we have Gene Arthur for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Judy Garland for The Wizard of Oz, Betty Davis for Dark Victory, Greta Garbo for Nanachka, and Vivian Lee for Gone with the Wind. And the Oscar goes to Greta Garbo. I had Betty for Dark Victory, Norma Shearer for The Women, Greta Garbo for Nanachka, Judy for The Wizard of Oz, and my winner is Vivian Lee for Gone with the Wind. I think you both might actually be mad at me a little bit here. Oh my God. <laughs> I had Norma Shearer for the women, Betty Davis for dark victory, Claire Trevor for stagecoach, Greta Garbo for Nanachka, And my winner was Vivian Lee for gone with the wind. Where is Judy? I knew it was coming. I know she was so close. Brett's not an Brett's not an LGBT ally. <laughs> Don't you remember Stonewall started because of her? Wait, 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 wait. does he know this story? First of all, <laughs> I listened to the um, um, what's the podcast? You must remember this about that. So I didn't okay. know that. All right. I mean, that's not exactly accurate to the people listening at home. I don't actually believe she started. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but yeah, there's my hot take for the night, I guess. All right, all right. Okay, best director. What do we got here? Um, again, broke the rules, gave a double nomination to Victor Fleming for Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind. Ernst Lubitsch for Ninochka. William Determinum for Hunchback and Notre Dame. John Ford for Stagecoach, and Frank Capra for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and then going into Victor Fleming. Good pick. Uh, I am Ernst Lubitsch for Ninochka, Capra for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, John Ford for Stagecoach, Victor Fleming for The Wizard of Oz, and then the winner is Victor Fleming for Gone with the Wind. Yeah, I separated my Fleming films as well. Well... Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure how to go about that, but my number, I actually have Howard Hawks in there for Only Angels Have Wings, um, George Cukor for The Women, John Ford for Stagecoach, Victor Fleming for Gone with the Wind, and my winner, Victor Fleming for The Wizard of Oz. Ooh. Yeah. That was tough. I just went with the one that I thought had the most staying power and reached such a wide audience. Okay, so I'm assuming if you guys did, if you both did this differently, it's totally cool. But I just did my best picture lists for my top ten ranking of the year, and so did anybody differ in that? 
I just ranked him top 10. Yeah. Cool. Sounds good. Let's hear our best picture. Okay. Number 10, The Cat and the Canary. Nine, The Private Life of Elizabeth and Essex. Eight, The Women. Seven, Of Mice and Men. Six, Dark Victory. Five, Stagecoach. Four, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Three, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Two, Nidolchka. Number one, Gone with the Wind. Kidding. The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I was like, wait, Ooh. what? <laughs> oh, it's my turn, isn't it? There's like five people texting me right now. That's so rude of them. I say <laughs> as I'm like responding back. Anyway, my top 10. The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Le Jour Se Leve, or Daybreak. Um, eight is The Women. Seven is Son of Frankenstein. Ooh. Yeah. Six is The Cat and the Canary. Five is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Four is Gone with the Wind. Three is Stagecoach. Two is Nanachka. And number one, obviously, is Gunga Din. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the Wizard of Oz. Oops. Um, number 10, I had the rules of the game. Number 9, Young Mr. Lincoln. Number 8, Only Angels Have Wings. Number 7, Daybreak. Number 6, The Women. Number 5, Gone with the Winds. Number 4, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Number 3, Nanochka. Number 2, Stagecoach. And number 1, The Wizard of Oz classic so like we all had the wizard of oz we all had the wizard of oz mm -hmm. it's timeless, timeless. <gasps> jinx show me soda <gasps> one two three four five six seven eight nine ten oh my god wow well so that's that that's that that is the year 1939 and my final question is i know we haven't seen i mean i know i haven't maybe you two have but every film ever whatever but from what you've seen <laughs> is this indeed the best year in cinema i will say no i just i, I will be the devil's advocate and say no <laughs> <laughs> i just think that i've been i've been thinking about like the canonization of film and like how we decide things are like these are important and how we say 1939 is the year for film. But I'm like, who says this? Mm. And I'm just thinking like, first of all, I don't think all these films are the best because you know we've been going through these and we're like, Love Affair, uh, Mr. Chips. Uh. And then I'm also thinking how many times have we said, this movie was racist. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, uh. I just think there's no such thing as like the greatest year in movies. Because there's mm -hmm. good and bad every year. Yeah. yeah. They, I mean, there are certain films that have their redeeming qualities. There are other ones we don't talk about or don't remember them. Mm -hmm. There are other movies that are more enjoyable. I mean, Cat and the Canary is more enjoyable to me than Wuthering Heights. Mm -hmm. And obviously it wasn't going to get a, bit, a Best Picture nominee, but whatever. There are other years that, I mean, people say can be the best, but... Is there really a best year? No. Because then you have the 50s, and like every year in the 50s had like at least three out of five. Like, why are you here? Yeah. I would agree. 
um, for basically all the reasons given. And I think, I mean, for me, it's also just like, there were like maybe four or five films I would say were like truly like great, amazing films. And the rest is either, you know, pretty good. And then there's a big drop off where there's some that just aren't very good. And of course, like you said, Zay, we see that every year. Um, again, like, yeah, good point. No such thing really as a best year in film. And I just also wonder about like this being when it was, when you had like color coming onto the scene and all these things happening and being one of the last years before we go into World War II and you know, production isn't quite the same. I think I it's know. also, it had 10 nominations. And when you look at the 10 nominations, sure, I didn't like Goodbye, Mr. Chips that much. But none of them are just like, I'm looking at the films and like, that was a god-awful film that ended up in the Best Picture nominee. Because right. there's a lot of those years where there's at least one picture nominee where you're just like, what the fuck? How that and it's been it's been happening more and more during <laughs> years. Yeah, so I can see why when you look at that list of ten films, you're like, oh yeah, that's a decent list. Yeah, part of me also wonders if it's just like Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind. Like you see those it's, two everywhere. And so, I mean, I even said I nominated Wizard of Oz for twenty personal awards. Okay, but like, that's you. <laughs> no. Which one has more staying power? <laughs> Which one will the kitties like? Well, thank you. So I think that wraps up everything. Any last thoughts? I'm glad you guys let me on. It was a lot of fun. We are glad you decided to join us. Yes. I want to say thank you for watching all the films that you did in that short time frame. It's really appreciate that. Working up to at this point nice yeah thank you um for coming on and discussing everything with us like we always say gilded films you can follow us on um facebook twitter instagram we also have a letterbox um you can find all three of us on letterbox as well um and on twitter if you'd like to follow we should post a link to zay's letterbox definitely we will do that in um the website and whatnot and you can go follow there. What's our next show? Our next show, we will be looking at the films of the year 2007, in which No Country for Old Men was the Best Picture winner. It's the darkest a really, year. It is a bleak year, but there are some really good movies in that lineup. Looking forward to it. We thank you again for listening, and we're and signing that's off. That's the way it was. <laughs> Nineteen thirty nine. And now we prepare our vote for the past year. Already more than twelve thousand votes have been received. Votes by artists and artisans, stars and technicians alike, from all the manifold activities of Hollywood. Votes counted and recorded in the strictest privacy by public accountants. And Hollywood talks of little else as the evening approaches. The Academy Dinner. Come with me, Mr. and Mrs. Audience, and you, Tommy and Mary, too, to the Coconut Grove in the Ambassador Hotel. See for yourself. And be conscious, as I am, of the outstanding mood of this brilliant gathering. Suspense.